0: Break my heart if that's what
1: That is our prayer that whatever God needs to do to get us where we need to be, that's what we want, that's what we desire. And I pray that we would get to that point if we're not there already. I want you to open your Bibles this morning, we'll begin in Matthew chapter 12, and as you're turning to Matthew chapter 12, I'm going to say a phrase, I'm going to say a few words, and I want you to complete what I'm going to say, okay? I'm going to say it right out loud. And I'm going to begin and you complete it. And we'll see if we all agree as we do this little exercise. You ready? Jonah and the... Amazing. Everybody said whale. And that's what I was expecting you to say. In fact, if you had not said that, I'd be very worried today. But you know what? I think G. Campbell Morgan was right. When he said that men had been looking so long at the great fish, they failed to see the great God. You see, the story of Jonah is not about the whale at all. Now, yes, it includes this great fish that was a part of the story. But the real story is about our great God. The fish, the whale, is not the hero of the book of Jonah. In fact, Jonah himself is not even the hero of the book of Jonah. God is the hero of the story. God is the hero of the book of Jonah. Now, for those of us who love God's word, for those of us who believe that it is the inerrant, inspired, authoritative word of God, it may come as a surprise to you to know that the book of Jonah has been under attack. There are those who laugh at the possibility of what we're told happens there actually happen. In fact, there are those who outright deny the book of Jonah, or at least its story. But we really shouldn't be surprised at that. Because as Dr. Harold Wilmington tells us in his Guide to the Bible, the book of Jonah is one of three of the Old Testament books that is especially hated by Satan. One of the three Old Testament books that's especially hated by Satan. The first is Genesis. Why? Because Genesis predicts the incarnation of Christ, the coming of Christ as the seed of the woman. He's going to come of the woman in Genesis 3.15. And then he also hates the book of Daniel. Because the book of Daniel predicts the glorious second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Daniel chapter 7 verses 9 through 12. His second coming to destroy his enemies. And then the book of Jonah. Which predicts in type form the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan especially hates Genesis and Daniel and Jonah. Of course, he hates God and his word anyway. But, you know, maybe some here today would even say if they were honest, I have a hard time believing the story, uh, the book of Jonah actually took place. Well, I want to tell you something, friend. Jesus didn't have a hard time with it. Jesus believed and knew that this story was a real story. I want you to look at Jesus' words before we go to the book of Jonah in Matthew chapter 12. And it says there, begin reading at verse 38, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. We want to see something visible. We want to see something that we really can look at. But he answered and said unto them, this is Jesus speaking, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas or Jonah. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. As I said a moment ago, the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah, it it predicts in tight form the death and the resurrection of Christ. Jesus himself says, listen, there's no sign going to be given but the sign of Jonah, the prophet. Just as he was in that whale's belly, that fish's belly, three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man, so shall Jesus Christ be in the tomb, but then he shall be resurrected. But then there are those who would say, no, the book of Jonah, it's a a parable. It's a story. It's just some fiction. Well, I would say to those who would say that, then why does it tell us specifically that Jonah was the son of Amittai? You see, that Jonah, the son of Amittai, was a real man. He was a prophet. We're told about him, and you write this verse down, or this reference down. 2 Kings 14.25. 2 Kings 14.25. Listen to what it says. He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath into the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake, listen, by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gath-Hefer. We understand there that Jonah was a real man. Now hear me well, beloved. Jonah was a real man, swallowed by a real fish, sent to a real city to warn of real judgment that brought about a real revival. And you notice the emphasis there was upon the fact it was real. It's not fairy tale. It's not make believe. What happened, what we're told happened in the book of Jonah, really happened. Well, guess where we're going next in our our journey here today. Where do you think we're going? Which book? The book of Jonah. Would you find it, please? Turn back to Matthew in the latter part of the Old Testament. And we want to spend some time this morning journeying with Jonah. We're beginning a new series today. That's what we're calling it, journeying with Jonah. And I guarantee you, as we take this trip with Jonah, that the trip that Jonah took was anything but uneventful. In fact, it was a rough ride for Jonah because, as Vance Havner said, the detour is always rougher than the main road. And you know what? Uh, Jonah took quite a detour, as we'll be reminded of as we begin journeying with him. Today, we're just going to study the call and commissioning of Jonah. He's called by God here in the opening verses of this book. And uh, we don't know a whole lot about Jonah outside of this book. Uh, the only other background we have is what we talked about there in 2 Kings chapter 14. Uh, we learned that he was from Gath Heifer. Uh, that's where he's from. And that was a village about two miles uh, northeast of Nazareth. Uh, it kind of helps us to, to date his life. Uh, he was living sometime during Jeroboam's reign from 793 to 753 B.C. Uh, some believe that Jonah was kind of taking up his work as a prophet as Elisha was finishing up his. Uh, we're told that Jonah's name means dove, dove, and his father's name, Amittai means truthful. And that's pretty much what we know about Jonah outside of this book. But let's notice what it says here in this book, uh, these first three verses today. And I want you to notice right off the bat here, God said, go. God said, let's begin reading there, chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Will you notice that God said, Go, arise and go. This was a command. God does not suggest, God does not say, you know, if you think about it, would you pray about it? God says, I want you to get up and go. It was not only a command, it was very clear. There's no gray area here. Jonah didn't have to sit around wondering, well, did God really mean Nineveh? Does he really want me to go there? He didn't have to wrestle with the location of where he was to minister. He also didn't have to wrestle with what he's supposed to do in Nineveh. He wasn't there just to spend some time or vacation. God is very clear. Don't give them a tickle your ears message. Don't give them a feel good little sermon at He's to preach and warn of judgment. He says there, he's to do what in verse number two? Cry against it. Cry against it. Now, what was Nineveh like? Well, the scholars, Rod Martin says this about Nineveh. He says, Nineveh was huge. He says it was a large population center, had somewhere between 600,000 and a million citizens. In fact, Jonah chapter 4 tells us there was 120,000 who could not tell the difference between their right and left hands. We think he's talking about very young children. The possible square mileage of the land was about 350 square miles. He says the fortifications were awesome. The walls of the city of Nineveh were 100 feet high. And wide enough for three chariots to go side by side. Think about that. A hundred feet high and wide enough for three chariots of rest. I understand that great palaces adorned the city. Education was a priority. It was It was the leading educational center in Assyria. Agriculture and ranching played a vital part in the city. Uh, there was an abundance of livestock, according to chapter 4 and verse 11. This would make the city a self-supporting city in regards to its food supply. If they were surrounded by an enemy, they could live for many, many days and not be starved into submission. I mean, Nineveh was a huge place. It was quite a place. And we're going to talk more about it later on in our message. But this is where God is sending Jonah. It was a command, a clear command, go to Nineveh and cry against it. But I want you to notice something else about this command. It was compassionate. It was compassionate. I want you to notice the last words of verse number two. It says, for their wickedness is come up before me. Their wickedness is come up before me. Now, you might be wondering, preacher, how can you call This command to go to preach judgment to a city. How could you say that it's a compassionate thing? How is it that God is being compassionate and sending Jonah to cry against this city? Well, beloved, the reason I say that it's compassionate is because God was sending them a warning before he sent his judgment. God was sending in his preacher, his prophet to warn of what was going to happen. It's obvious here, as we look at the book of Jonah, that uh, it was a message of judgment. Notice what it says there in the third chapter, beginning at verse one. We fast forward in the story. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey, and Jonah began to enter into the city of days' journey, and he cried out this message Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I say it was a compassionate call, a compassionate thing, because obviously the purpose of this preaching. The purpose of Jonah's going was to bring the people of Nineveh to repentance. To have them turn from their wickedness to God. So we know that God says, go. And in this go, we see that God is a God of love and mercy and grace. We see it in action here as he sends this missionary, this prophet, this preacher to a city to warn them about what he's going to do to this city if they do not repent. God said, go, go to Nineveh, cry against it. God said, go. But I want you to notice next this morning, beloved, Jonah said, no, Jonah said, no. Look at verse number three. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish in the presence of the Lord. Now, we don't realize we don't we don't read this morning that he verbalized the words. No, I don't see him saying the words, but I see the no by his actions. He deliberately ran from God's will. You know, in the book of Isaiah, you have Isaiah saying at one point to the Lord, here am I. Send me. Remember that? Isaiah chapter six. Here am I. Send me. Jonah said, here am I, send somebody else. No. It says he rose and he fled to Tarshish. Now, you have to understand, if you look at this on a map, Tarshish, it was the opposite direction of Nineveh. One writer said it was 2,500 miles west of Joppa on the coast of Spain. In other words, it was about as far away from God's will as Jonah could get. And, and the passage here says what? It says Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish, the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found that ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare thereof. He went down into it with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Notice that phrase, presence of the Lord. It's used twice there in verse number three. The presence of the Lord. He's trying to get away from God's presence. Now, surely Jonah had read, and Jonah knew Psalm one hundred and thirty-nine. Psalm 139 has these verses, verses 7 through 10. Whither shall I go for thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Listen, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. I think Jonah knew good and well he could not escape the very presence of God. In other words, he couldn't hide from God, even from the very beginning. Since man has sinned, he's been trying to hide from God, hasn't he? Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't run toward God, they ran away from God and tried to hide. And I believe that Jonah knew he could not actually hide from God's presence. But what he's doing here is he's running away from God's will. John, I believe, knew that he could not run God's presence because he knew no matter where he went, God had already beat him there because God is on present. He's here today. There's no way of escaping his presence. I think the idea of running for the presence of God here in verse number three is the idea that he quit. He was done being a prophet. He was done with God's will concerning Nineveh. He couldn't stay where he was. God's calling him there. So he runs down to Joppa, catches a boat, and to get as far away as he can from God's will for his life. He was running from God. And as O.S. Hawkins said, Satan always sees that transportation is provided for those who are running from the will of God. He got down to Joppa and lo and behold, here's a ship ready to go to Tarshish. He jumps on board. But you know what? There are many problems For those who would seek to run away from God's will. Banks said attempting to run away from God's will is like fling light and falling into darkness. It's like relinquishing wealth and welcoming poverty. It's like disdaining wisdom in order to wallow in ignorance. Running away from God is like abandoning joy and meeting sorrow or giving up peace in order to welcome chaos and confusion. To put it another way, listen, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And I think Jonah's life is a great illustration of that. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Now, Jonas, he knows God's will, he knows God's call, he knows God's commission. It's a clear command, but Jonas says no, and he seeks to run away from God's will and God's place of service. Now, the question is, why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? Why did he say no? Why did he run the other way? Was it because this could be a difficult trip? Was it because there were dangers involved? You know the Ninevites were an evil, wicked people. Let me give you a description of them, and I'm going to apologize beforehand for those who are very sensitive about what I'm about to tell you about the Ninevites. Stephen David gives this description. He said the Ninevites were demon-worshipping, immoral, brutal, unmerciful, perverted people. They boasted of their cruelty. Excavated records brag of live dismemberment, often with one hand left attached so they could shake it before the person died. They made parades of heads requiring a friend of the deceased to carry the head elevated on a pole. Ninevites boasted of their practice of stretching live prisoners with ropes so they could easily be skinned alive. One Assyrian king boasted of his cruelty when he recorded these excavated words. And I quote, I flayed the skin from as many nobles as had rebelled against me and draped their skin over the pile of corpses. I burned their children. I captured many troops alive and cut off their arms, hands, nose, ears and extremities. Listen, even the hinges on the city gates of Nineveh, which had been discovered, depict the cruelty of these people to captives. Ninevites were proud of the terror they struck in the hearts of their enemies. They were proud of their reputation of being unmerciful. Now, knowing that, how would you like to be their missionary? Boy, that's exciting, isn't it? Sign me up. But you know what? That's not why Jonah didn't want to go. In fact... The reason, and it was going to be a dangerous trip, and it was going to be a difficult trip, but that doesn't seem to be the main reason he didn't want to go. Here's what happened. Jonah put patriotism over evangelism. He said that again. He put patriotism over evangelism. In other words, the Ninevites, these people were the enemies of Israel. Jonah didn't want them converted. Jonah didn't want them blessed. Jonah did not want them to experience the grace of God. Fast forward in the story to chapter 4, and you'll see some of this. Chapter 4, you find Jonah pouting. God's done a great work, but notice what it says in chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord, and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Now watch this. When I was in my country, therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. Why, Jonah? For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. In other words, he said, you know know what, God, I knew that you are a God of grace and mercy. And I knew that your desire was to. Extend your grace and mercy to those people. And I'd rather flee or do anything rather than see you bless these people of Nineveh to fully grasp what's going on here. James Boyce paints a picture we can get a better handle of. Imagine this gives us the picture of the geography and, and Jonah's motives. Okay, imagine the word of the Lord coming to a Jew living in New York. During World War Two. okay, get that picture in your mind. A Jew living in New York in World War Two. And that Jew is told to go to Berlin and preach to Nazi Germany. Does that help you? And instead of doing that, here's what that Jew does. He goes to San Francisco and catches a boat to Hong Kong. That's the idea of what's going on here. Jonah didn't want to go because he knew that God was a God of mercy and grace, and he did not want the Ninevites to experience it. So he says, you know what? I'll head in the opposite direction. He decided it'd be better to sin and disobey God than to see those heathen people converted. Jonah, Jonah, don't forget, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll, It'll keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. But before we shake our heads at Jonah too much this morning, we need to examine ourselves. We need to look at our own lives. Perhaps if we're honest, we'd say, you know what? We're just as guilty as Jonah is. You know why? Because God has said to us the same words He said to Jonah. He said, go. You say, well, preacher, what are you talking about? Well, let's go back and read it. Go back to Matthew again. Matthew 28. Familiar verses to many, but I want to read it again. Matthew 28. God says to Jonah, go. Jonah says, no. God says to us, go. Let's look at it. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go ye. Go ye, therefore. And teach who all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, Jonah was given God's go. God says to Jonah, go. He says, no. God says to us, go. Now, here's the question. Are we going? The sense there is actually as you are going. Are we going? Now we can say amen all day long. We say amen. The Great Commission, praise the Lord. We had a Great Commission resurgence, emphasis in our Southern Baptist Convention and throughout all of our churches and all these institutions. That's our focus. The Great Commission. We can say Amen all day long. Praise the Lord. Amen. I believe the Great Commission. But are we going? Are we going? Do our actions say no? Are we heading down to the nearest seaport town and looking for a ship going to Tarshish? Are we ready? Listen, are we ready to take the gospel to anyone, to any race, to any nation? Are you ready for that? He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you ready to take the gospel to those who hate America? Now, remember, I said, what Jonah put patriotism above evangelization. He put it above evangelism. Listen, brother, I love America. I love America. But Jesus didn't die just for America. God is not just America's God. The book of Jonah shows us that God is a God of grace. It shows his grace to Jonah. We'll see that it shows his grace to the Ninevites. But the book screams out to us that God loves the nations. And God says to us, to you and I, Christian, in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations, all nations. Acts 1.8 says it this way. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now it's very clear today God says go. It's a clear command. But here's the question What is our response? Really, there's only two responses possible. Number one, we go. Number two, we say no. James Divine said, the will of God may not be what you like, but it is always right. The will of God may not be what you like, but it's always right. Jonah needed to learn that. We need to learn that. You need to learn. I need to learn the fact that Jesus died for. It, it was to save people that perhaps you even, if you were honest, hate. And despise and dislike. And if there are people that you despise or hate or dislike, beloved, that's a reflection of your own heart. Because Jesus died for those people. God tells us to go to those people with the gospel. I realized as I was studying this this past week that there is no doubt some among us today. Themselves that are running from the will of God. God has called you to do something specific, yet you have said by your actions, maybe not your words, by your actions, no, and you're running from the Lord. May I say to you today, friend, stop and repent, stop and repent, recognize afresh and anew that sin will take you farther than you want to go, it will keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. If you don't believe me, go ask Jonah. Jonah, how did running from God's will work out for you there? Was that a pleasant experience? Was that a blessing in a real way in your life? Listen, God's grace is real and God's grace is real to Jonah and the Ninevites in this book. But Jonah, listen. He ran from the Lord and look at what happened to it. I want every believer to ask themselves this question today, and I want you to know I struggle with this question myself, and I want you to know that I'm burdened about this myself. We've sung about it today. We've sung about the fact that people need the Lord. I sang prior to the message about giving your heart for souls. Many die in heathen lands and many die next door. I want every believer, every Christian to ask yourself this question and be honest about it. Are you ready for it? What am I doing to reach the nations with the gospel? Ask yourself that question. What am I doing to reach the nations with the gospel? You say, well, preacher, we're just here in Anson County. We're just here in Ansonville and Wainsborough. And and I'm just, no, 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 no. God says Go. What am I doing to reach the nations with the gospel? Ask yourself that. Allow God the Holy Spirit to impress that upon your heart. What am I doing to reach the nations with the gospel? I think the answer begins with what am I doing to reach my neighborhood for the gospel? My community with the gospel, my county with the gospel, and then it spreads outward. There are only two options go or no. Listen, are you praying for the nations? Are you giving for the nations? Are you ready to go at a moment's notice when God says go? Is your life there waiting just as Jonah was and the word of the Lord comes? Are you ready to say yes, Lord, wherever, whenever I'm willing to go, I'm ready to go. You know, I think one of the biggest problems we have as believers is maybe not so much a problem with indifference or not indifference, but hatred toward the nations, but just total indifference or or maybe I could say it this way, preoccupation with our own lives. In other words, we're so busy about our own world, our own little kingdoms. Our own stuff, our own problems, our own challenges, our own needs, our own wants, our own desires. And we're so focused on ourselves and our self-centeredness that we don't have time to look at the nations. We don't have time to think about the Great Commission. We don't have time to think about those who are lost, who have never, ever heard the gospel. Many of us, we have heard the gospel since we were we little children. We were reared in church and we've heard the gospel over and over again. We've responded to the gospel. Praise be to God. But what about those who've never heard? You see, there was a group of people in Nineveh that God said to Jonah, listen, I want you to go and cry against it. I'm that to bring my judgment. And the whole purpose was that they might repent and turn from their wickedness to God. And God says to you and I, Christian, listen. There's a whole group of people. My judgment's coming. And I want you to go and tell them that there's a Savior named Jesus Christ. And I want you to tell them that if they'll turn from their sin to Christ, they will have eternal life. We're so consumed with ourselves that we've forgotten the nations. If we were even honest, we would have to say we've forgotten our neighborhood. Every person you see Is going to spend eternity in one of two places. They're going to spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. Every person. Every person. Every person is someone Jesus Christ died to save. But they must respond in faith and receive his forgiveness. Are you telling them? Am I telling them? God says, go. Jonah says, no. God says to you and I today, go. You say. Father. My heart is burdened.